You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Everybody has their peanut butter and jelly, right? For those of you who get the remind text, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I sent I immediately as soon as I got the remind text this week. I said, "Was this is this a, a warm up for the length of sermon for Sunday?" When Casey sent that out, uh, for those who don't get the remind text from the Oaks Church, you need to. You can see Casey or one of the other pastors here, and that's a plug for the remind text. We're going to be looking at a biblical model for church leadership. I've been asked to preach the next section from First Peter, and so if you grab your Bible, turn to First Peter chapter five with me. Uh, we're looking at what. What the Bible says about how we uh, in the church are, are to lead. And so honestly, church, this message primarily is going to be toward your elders this morning. So uh, for the three brothers who are here who, who are serving in that official leadership capacity, um, you get to basically listen to me talk to them from the Bible. And so this is going to be pretty fun. However, um, I see a lot of men in the room, a lot of you know, um, this may be something that you aspire to, right? The Bible speaks of one desiring the office of an overseer, and so uh, we all should listen into. And uh, for anyone else in this whole dynamic, let's, let's evaluate where we are as a church, where we are as leadership, individually and collectively, and see uh, how, how we as a church collectively move forward. And honestly, in our day... Uh, with regard to church leadership, we have many different models have found their way into uh, this conversation of the church leadership. I'll give you some examples. The, the model of the CEO, where there's an executive who administers the functioning of the church, and really the church is seen more as a business at that point. Profit margin, those types of things enter into the conversation. Um, systems and, and, and uh, aspects such as that function with the CEO. There's the visionary model where the leaders cast a vision. They seem to live at, live at this 35,000-foot level while the rest of the church kind of exists on the ground where life happens, and there's a huge disconnect there. So the CEO, the visionary. Uh, there's also the Bible expert model where uh, the leader is the expert expositor, the Bible teacher, who considers his primary and sometimes, sadly, only role to preach and teach effectively and lead in that regard. Uh, there's another model that is uh, it's kind of gaining in popularity, and it's where the leader is the coach and the cheerleader. That's, uh, they're constantly pointing people to what they need to do and where they need to go and in providing encouragement along the way, but not really involved in what's going on in the life of the church. And all of these models, and there, there are several more. I just gave an example just to kind of gear our mind in this direction. Uh, they have benefits and validity, right? I mean, we, we see the value in, in all these aspects. Um, and all of these things are, are involved or necessary for leadership in the local church. None of these, however, are the primary model for leadership that's presented for the pastor, teacher, elder in the Bible. The Bible uses one word to describe the leadership role and... That role is a shepherd. And contextually, we have difficulty in really understanding how, how shepherding works, and basically it's pretty, it makes pretty good sense because none of us have sheep, right? I mean, you may, and if you do, then I could have a conversation with you and learn a little more about what the Lord's called us to do. Um, but our model is still the shepherd, and... Honestly, a lot of people in our day in church leadership feel that the shepherding model is no longer relevant, right? It's no longer contextual. 
Um, and I'll just give you an example of uh, a rather significant, well-known ministry leader and pastor in, uh, in our day. Uh, this was an article in Leadership Magazine Journal. Um, and I'll give you just some uh, quotes from this brother and to help you just kind of be aware. What, what Oaks Church, just, just be aware. What you experience here is rare. From a, a leadership model that works, it's biblical, and brothers who lead you and love you. All right, and so and are in 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 the trenches with you, and so receive that from a church standpoint as an encouragement. But listen to uh, three questions that was that were presented to this well-known pastor and his responses. Um, the first question was, "What is distinctly spiritual about the kind of leadership you do?" His response was, "There's nothing distinctly spiritual," which for anybody who has an ounce of discernment, red flags go up. I think a big problem in the church has been the dichotomy between spirituality and leadership. One of the criticisms I get is your church is so corporate. I read blogs all the time. Bloggers complain that pastors like a CEO, and I say, okay, you're right. Now, why is that a bad model? This is, we're talking a dude who's leading thousands of people. <laughs> Next question was, should we stop talking about pastors as shepherds? His, his reply, absolutely. That word needs to go away. Jesus talked about shepherds because there was one over there in a pasture he could point to. But to bring in that imagery today and say, Pastor, you're the shepherd of the flock, no. I've never seen a flock. I've never spent five minutes with a shepherd. It was culturally relevant in the time of Jesus, but it's not culturally relevant anymore. Nothing works in our culture with that model except the sense of the gentle pastoral care. Obviously, this is a face of church ministry, but that's not leadership. Next question. Isn't shepherd the... You can kind of see how the interviewer is really kind of pushing in on this issue the next question was, isn't shepherd the biblical word for pastor? His reply, it's the first century word. If Jesus were here today, would he talk about shepherds? No. He would point to something that we all know, and we'd say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Jesus told Peter, the fisherman, to feed my sheep, but he didn't say to the rest of them, go ye therefore into all the world and be shepherds and feed my sheep. By the time of the book of Acts, the shepherd model is gone. It's about establishing elders and deacons and their qualifications. Shepherding doesn't seem to be the emphasis even when it was, it was cultural, an illustration of something. Now, I see looks of concern on several faces, which is an encouragement to me. <laughs> if you're nodding in approval, I would say, okay, well, let's back up and let's reconsider this conversation we're about to have. A couple of problems, uh, and this is, this is a prevailing attitude in the church culture today. We need to understand this. Um, a couple of problems arise here. Uh, one is that we never interpret the Bible through our context. You see, he's going from a 21st century perspective perspective, filtering the Bible through that perspective. We always interpret the Bible and apply it to our context. It's always, we're looking then and then we apply now, not looking now and apply it to then. And actually, and this is where I would definitely hold this brother uh, to account, throughout the New Testament, shepherding is the consistent model for the pastor elder of the church. In Acts 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders to shepherd the flock of God. So we see it in Acts, which this brother said, we don't see it in Acts. Ephesians 4, Hebrews 13 in our text today. Shepherding is the model. Uh, honestly, a lazy way to lead is the mindset seen in this article and it's pre prevalent today. We don't understand shepherding, so let's find a contextual model that works for us, like a CEO, a coach, etc. Instead, however, let's do the hard work and look at the biblical model and try to unpack what it means to really shepherd the church and what that means for you as a church, being shepherded by those who, whom God has given to you. So let's look at our text, 1 Peter 5. I'll read verses 1 through 5, and we'll consider uh, what Peter's teaching the church here. So I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Shepherding, the biblical model of leadership. And so we'll, we'll walk through the text here and just consider some basic, simple realities of shepherding. And so they go with kind of the diagnostic questions, the what, the when, the where, the how kind of stuff. So if you're simple-minded, you'll follow along just fine. If you're high-minded, hopefully you can follow along just fine as well. First, we'll look at the when of shepherding. Uh, number one, the when of shepherding. So Peter starts here in verse 1 of chapter 5, and he says, So... So I exhort the elders among you. He's connecting right back to the previous section. And we've been tracking through First Peter for several weeks now. So we kind of get a feel for the, the vibe of the letter and who Peter's writing to the exiles and what's going on with them, the suffering, the, per- the persecution that, that, they're, that they're experiencing. And he's encouraging them to remain faithful and remain steadfast and hold fast to their commitment to Christ. And he says, so I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a corner that gets turned right here. Right Up to this point, he's writing to the church at large. Now a switch gets flipped and he says, Okay, leaders, come on in here. I have something to say to you. So I exhort the elders among you. And he's making this connection to, if you, go, if you just look back at the last text we looked at last week with, at the end of chapter 4, where we're not surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon us. If anyone suffers as a Christian, verse 16, that judgment begins at the household of God. And so... This, this reality for the elder, for the pastor, for the teacher, is that the elder is going to be on the front line of this experience of suffering. All right, so just remember the theme that's been going all throughout the letter here, suffering, persecution. Uh, we know the historical context, Nero, everything that was going on with, with what was going with the church. And Peter's saying, I exhort the elders among you because your shepherds, you are on the front line. You are the first, you, in essence, the elders are the first targets of the church, right? And which elders, for, for those of us who are called to this kind of ministry, that's rather haunting. Better be humbling, but it has to be haunting for us. And he tells them, and, and so what Peter does, though, as, by way of encouragement, check out what he does. He, he gives them a, a, a gentle word here. He says, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, right? You, you caught that? I'm in this with you. I, I, I'm not in your context. I'm not where you are, but we're in the same game together. And so he says, I'm, I'm in this battle to you, with you. Uh, and so a message here for the leaders and those aspiring to leadership in the church, if you aren't compelled to push, push in further when things get more difficult, you may not actually be called to shepherd the church. All right, because that's what Peter's saying here. He said, I exhort the elders among you. He's going to go and he's going to give them instruction. And the backdrop is all of this persecution and suffering that the church is facing. It's hard. 
right? This is, this is not Western Christianity where everybody just comes and everything's okay and we shake hands and we hug necks and we sing and we preach and we pray and we observe the Lord's Supper and we go home and go on about our married lives. No, these people are ducking and diving for their lives, right? And he's saying, you elders are on the front line of this. And that's the call of the shepherd, the wind. Like when, when things get difficult, the elder, the leader is the one who jumps in rather than pulls back, right? And that's, that's, that's a God thing that happens because our, our natural man, our natural flesh actually wants to back away, right? We want to avert danger. We want to avert challenge and difficulty. But when God places this call on the life of a leader in the church, it's you hear about something, no, I'm in on this right now, right? There's, a, there's an immediate responsiveness. And so Peter's connecting this win of shepherding back to all of the suffering that's going on in the church. Since suffering exists, and 4.17, judgment begins at the household of God, he says, shepherd, that's what you're to do, shepherd. When things are good, when things are smooth, when things are fun, everybody wants to shepherd, right? When everything is rolling, everybody wants to lead. When things are painful, when things are difficult, when things are hard, then you, re- then you begin to realize who is actually called to lead, right? Whom God, and look, that's okay. God has not called everyone to be an elder in the church, all right, so don't, don't think that this is a second class, a tier system that we're seeing in, in the Bible. Right? This is just God's ordained way of leading his church. So first, the when of shepherding. Let's look secondly in verse 2 at the what of shepherding. What does a shepherd do? So verse 2, he says, I'm a partaker in the glory uh, that's going to be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. He, he exhorts them, he compels them to shepherd. In this whole text, the imperative command here is on the word shepherd. This is what the leader is to do. So we understand kind of the concept of the model of the shepherd. So it, response time, okay? Who would, be, who would be a good example for us to look at in terms of how we are to shepherd well? It's okay for you to say Jesus at this point, right? Jesus would be a great example to look at for anything in life, but especially being a shepherd, because in John 10, he called himself, what, the good shepherd. And so I want to give you three statements. And so shepherds, this is reflective for us, evaluation for us. And church, it's for you. Is this, is this the way that we as a church are being led? All right, three statements connecting a dot back to John 10 with Jesus being the good shepherd. One, the faithful shepherd loves the flock. The faithful shepherd loves the flock. And here's why, verse 2 of 1 Peter 5, the faithful shepherd loves the flock because the flock belongs to God. Did you catch what he said there? Shepherd the flock of God. You see, this is not anyone's, this is, this is not ownership by anyone other than God. The Lord Jesus owns this church, and so we serve as shepherds under his authority. And so the faithful shepherd loves this flock. John 10, verses 11 through 13, this is what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. But the good shepherd sees the wolf coming, picks up a stick, and takes care of the wolf. Why? Not because he hates wolves, but because he loves sheep. Right? The the faithful shepherd loves the flock. Secondly, the faithful shepherd lives among the flock. The faithful shepherd lives among the flock. You notice what he says there in verse 2 again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 
right? On purpose, he could have just said shepherd the flock of God. Well, then the, the flock of God becomes ambiguous, right? It's just big picture, like just a lot of people, universal, everywhere. But no, he comes in, in, in into where life happens and says the, the flock of God among you. There's this closeness in the shepherd and the sheep relationship. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You see, as shepherds, we live among the flock. And shepherds, let's not, let's not forget that we are sheep also. It's kind of it's weird because we're shepherding sheep. Like, we're sheep, and that's what we do, right? Shepherding. We're not shepherding sheep, huddling sheep around. Like, that's who we are. We're shepherding sheep. And so this is where, like, the business model, the CEO model falls short. The, co- the coaching model falls short. Right? The shepherd is touchable. The shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. Like the good shepherd is not just on the sideline shouting orders into the game. Right? The good shepherd is on the line. The good shepherd is in the trenches. We're in the middle and the good shepherd lives among the flock. The CEO business model is actually kind of easy. Because from a shepherding standpoint, you can stay clean. Right? You don't have to get into the mess. And if it starts costing you too much, you just cut your losses and move on. Right? That's, that's how a CEO functions. But the shepherding model says, no, we can't. Biblical shepherds got dirty all the time. And they stunk. And you know what they smelled like? They smelled like sheep. They smelled like sheep. And it's because they lived among the flock. So the faithful shepherd loves the flock, the faithful shepherd lives among the flock, and the faithful shepherd leads the flock. The faithful shepherd leads the flock. Going on there in verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. This idea of exercising oversight carries the the meaning of overseeing the spiritual state of the people that God has given you. And we'll talk about kind of how that why that matters here in just a minute. But Jesus said in John 10, going on in that John 10 passage, in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, as shepherds, we should be able to say, follow me. Now you may think, that's kind of brash. That's a rather bold statement there, Rich. You're going to tell people to follow you? I thought we're supposed to be following Jesus. Well, isn't that how we follow Jesus? We follow people who are following Jesus. And this is, we're not saying anything new. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Right? He's writing to the church at Corinth and he says, you guys imitate me. Later on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so you see this puts, like, this puts for the shepherd, this ups the ante quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, if, if I just think about my, my role as a father, right? My, my children, by and large, are going to mimic a lot of what I do, what they learn from me, what they see in me, what they hear from me, right? And so from a, from a father standpoint, this is super humbling because I know that I've got three little Richards kind of running around here. And this, like, just, from, just from a standpoint, everybody's going back to like little Richard. From, from a standpoint of, of shepherding and mentoring and leading, there's a huge emphasis that's placed there. And so for the shepherd that's leading the flock, we should be able to say, hey, you want to follow Jesus? Follow me. If 
Follow me. The same command has to has to has 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 to be able to to be issued. And here why is this here's why this matters. We are to exercise oversight. And so we don't run back from the hard seasons of life and ministry. We don't shrink back from the challenges. We actually run toward those and dive into those. Why? Because we know that we are charged with exercising oversight over those whom God has trusted to us. We know that people's spiritual well-being is at stake. So, the what of shepherding. That's what we do. We shepherd. Now, he comes in in, in verses 2 and 3, into verse 2 and verse, and then in verse 3, and he helps us to see how this happens. So, number 3 here, the how of shepherding. Look at verse, look at continuing on there in verse 2. He uses three phrases. They start with not this way, but this way. Not this way, but this way. Not this way, but this way. Look at verse 2. Picking it up midway. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The how of shepherding. There's this encouragement and this admonition. Three don'ts and three do's. Now, interestingly, all three of these speak to motivation. Peter never addresses method. Like, he doesn't give us, like, the practical how-tos of shepherding. He, 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 he doesn't target the work of the shepherd's hands. He targets the shepherd's heart. Right? And which, which is huge. We can diagnose hands all day long. As we, as we lead the church, we can diagnose people's behavior. But if, if we just curb people's behavior, we just created a bunch of morally better, possibly pagans. Right? No, we, we go past behavior and we target beliefs. We don't, we don't look at con, we look at conduct, but we understand that conduct is driven by what? Character. Right? And the method for the shepherd is driven by the motivation of the, sh- the shepherd. So we can teach methods. We can teach methods. Like we can teach practical principles of how to lead in the local church. We can teach practical principles of how to follow in the local church. We can't teach motivation. We can't teach motivation. You see, motivation is something that only the Spirit of God does in the heart of a man who is called to lead in the local church. And so Peter hits the motivation very clearly here. So three statements that will take his three not this, but this statements, and unpack those. One, the faithful shepherd is motivated by obedience rather than obligation. The faithful shepherd is motivated by obedience rather than obligation. You see there in verse 2, he said, not under compulsion, but willingly. You see, those who are truly called to shepherd the church do not shepherd the church because they have to, but because they want to. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And if you do it because you have to, well, then it's probably a good idea just to find something else to do. And that's okay. Just just be honest and above board. When he says here in, in verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly, the word willingly literally means like wholehearted desire, right? If, if you're doing it because you have to, it's because you can't do anything else. There's, there's a deep-rooted, deep-seated motivation within your heart and in your life that you, you're motivated by obedience rather than obligation. So he's motivated by obedience rather than obligation. The faithful shepherd is selfless rather than selfish. Going to his next phrase here, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We're selfless rather than selfish. Jesus is our example here, Luke 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The motivation for the shepherd has to be others focused. By nature of what God has called us to do and who He's called us to be. We're looking out for sheep. 
And so we're, we're, we're focused on others. And to take both of these first two statements, the two, two specific dangers in, in ministry leadership, and they are power and greed. Power and greed. And Peter addresses both of these. He says, don't do it under compulsion, but willingly. Do it because you want to. And don't do it for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Don't, don't do it just for what you can get out of it. And like our minds gravitate straight toward what when he says shameful gain there? Money, right? We think, oh, well, you can make a lot of money. So, you know, it's very difficult to make a lot of money doing this. All right? So that may not be quite as realistic as we think, uh, but shameful gain could be a reputation, prominence, influence in people's lives that we become prideful about, positions, set of skills that people just rave over. Like this, this shameful gain can take on a lot more forms than just a dollar. And then third, Peter comes here and he says, the faithful shepherd demonstrates obedience. He doesn't demand obedience. The faithful shepherd demonstrates obedience. He doesn't demand obedience. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge. We don't lord it over. We don't go around with the Bible as a stick. Right? We're not domineering over those in our charge, but we are being examples. And so here we should clearly, shepherds, be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Because Peter says, don't, don't demand it out of people, just demonstrate it. Right? People should be able to look at us who are called. Now, church, just, just hear me clearly. Your shepherds, are, your elders are not perfect men. And they will fail. And so in the church, we have to develop a, a, a healthy theology of having a freedom to fail, right? And, and stepping into that failure as the church. And I know failure has different ramifications, and so we deal with different failures differently. But at the same time, like none of these brothers who are leading you are your Jesus. Okay, don't, don't hold any of them up to be your Jesus. But you should be able to consistently look at them and say, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to follow after Jesus, because they're constantly demonstrating obedience. And the, 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 the faithful shepherd is obedient to, verse 4, the chief shepherd. We don't enter into ministry to boss people around. We enter into ministry to lead people to become like Christ so that Christ is consistently glorified through his church. And then he comes here in verse 4 and he helps us to see the why. Why do we do all this? Why? I mean, just practically... There are a lot easier ways to make a living in life for those who are called vocationally to do this. There are a lot easier ways to have influence in people's lives than saying, yes, I will take the role and the mantle of shepherding in the local church. It's great cause of rejoicing in seasons and it's great cause of anguish in seasons. And if you don't believe any of us saying that, just ask our wives. (laughs) Because our wives can identify in those seasons that we're walking through. And so, why? Why do we do this? Well, look at, look at verse 4. Look at what Peter encouragingly and gently says in verse 4. Reminds the elder. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
And so while the shepherd is concerned about the here and now, he is confident in what is to come. And shepherds, we can do this with hope and with confidence because we trust in the one who's making the promise here. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, our, our suffering, and this is, this is just a straight message to the church, specifically to the elders, but this applies to the church. Our suffering and our sacrifice are not blind. For the Christian, there's really no such thing as blind faith. Right? Sounds good. I'll just follow Jesus in blind faith. Well, that's great, but it doesn't work because we're not blind. We see exactly who our faith is being placed in. Right? It's in the Lord Jesus. And so it's not like we are, it's not like this is a faith that is fueled by ignorance. This is a faith that is fueled by confidence and quality information based on the truth of God's word and statements like verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Connects right back to verse one where he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And this is a consistent theme throughout the book of First Peter. It's like, guys, it's tough right now, but trust the promise. Guys, it's hard right now, but believe the promise. Guys, it's painful right now, but hold fast to the promise. And we do this, why do we do this? Because... We know that the one who has called us is perfectly capable of fulfilling every promise that he's ever made. And when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive this unfading crown of glory. He's drawn a contrast to like the, 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 the plant crown that would be given to, to an Olympic victor, right? That's going to fade over time. No, this is a crown that's going to, going to consistently remain. And so, Church, let's kind, of, let's kind of turn a corner here. Because he comes in, in verse 5 and says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So he's talked about the elders who, who are leaders in the church. He comes and he talks about the younger folks in verse 5. And he says, you know what, just in case I miss anybody, end of verse 5, close yourselves, all of you. Right? Here's the blanket statement. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so... We've spoken primarily to the leaders, but you, church, you need to understand something as well. While the shepherd's work is hard, the shepherd's work should be a joy. The work of the shepherd in the local church should be a joy. And quite honestly, that largely depends upon you, the church. We find our joy in Christ. So regardless of what the circumstances are going to be like, our joy is still there. But walking in that joy and experiencing that joy practically largely depends on the context in which we're serving. And so then we come to verses like Hebrews 13, 17, which is written to the church, not to the leaders, but to the church. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You may not realize it, but based on Hebrews 13, 17, the leaders of your church will give an account for how they have led you, which is heavy for anybody leading. But then the writer of Hebrews goes on and says this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for what would be of no advantage to you. I've been doing... 
church life for quite some time now in a lot in different contexts and different areas but the the adage the the squeaky wheel gets the oil that that oftentimes unfortunately is very very true in the life of the church and it's the ones who require the most maintenance that end up getting the most attention and a lot of times church the church at large gets neglected in terms of leadership. And while seasonally, that's okay. But if, it's, if your season is like 20 years season, you might have, might have some issues to work through. And so let me ask this question of the church. Is the way you personally conduct yourselves and the way you lead and serve through this church, is it a joy for the elders that God has placed in this church? Right? Is the way that you're functioning in this church a source of joy for those whom God has said, you're going to lead, you're going to lead, you're going to lead, you're going to lead. Because, hey, I can tell you right now, just my experience in church life and leading in church, um, there are certain people you walk up to and your heart just rejoices and you can't wait to engage in that conversation. And there are certain people that you see coming down the hallway and you're looking for the first door to duck. Because you just know energy is going to get sapped, time is going to get sucked, and but it's consistently the same thing over and over and over. And if that's consistently a pattern of your life, well then, we have a joy in Jesus issue for you. Like there's, there's something, it's not, it's not your leader's fault if that's a consistent pattern for you. It's a, it's a joy in Jesus issue for you. Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so here's what happens. Here's what happens when the shepherds lead well and the sheep follow well in ways that please the Lord. We have unity, but unity goes to actually another level that, that kind of ha- has more of the idea of harmony. Or things just move well together. And when something happens, I mean, I- I'm no musician. I would never be invited to stand on this stage and lead in a musical way at all. But I can tell when something's off. Right? Just one issue, one situation can disrupt harmony. And so, collectively, from a shepherding standpoint and from a sheep standpoint, we just have to ask as a church how do we push into this? Right? How do we, how do we step into this potential mess and pursue Christ through this? The context of what Peter was writing. Remember, it was persecution and suffering. Persecution and suffering can very well be the refining element used by the Holy Spirit to purify the church of the Lord Jesus. This is not our experience in Western Christianity, by and large. Situationally, yes, but on a larger scale, no. But what if? What if, in the next five years, the dynamic of our country drastically changes and the church does not have the freedom that the church has now. Will there be a purification process that we go through? And here's, here's, here's another reality for the shepherd and the sheep. And let's not forget that the, shep, the, the shepherds are still sheep. Okay, So all of us as sheep, some of us called to be shepherds. There's a sense of, of, of personal ownership where in community... Right in community with one another, we just own who we are and where we are. 
And, and I would encourage you as a church, if you just say, you know what, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not satisfied with where I am with the Lord. Well, don't expect one of these brothers who are leading you to do what needs to be done to get you to where you need to be with the Lord. There's, there's a personal ownership. Like, in a macho way, we would just say man up about it. Right? Just, just step up to... That's obviously directed to the men, ladies, right? Like, there's, there's, we expect in the church a lot of times, we expect those who are leading us to do the things for us that we're supposed to do for ourselves. And while a new Christian needs to be fed with milk, needs to be fed with a spoon, right? Someone who's been a Jesus follower for an extended amount of time should have moved on to meat. And while you still are fed with those, by those who are leading you, you know how to feed yourself as well. Right? And so moments like these when you're under the teaching of the Word are just good. Just good because you've been in the Word consistently through the week. When you worship collectively with the body of Christ on a Sunday morning at 10.15, it's good because you've consistently worshipped the Lord in your own prayer closet through the week. And so as shepherds, we, we lead people to this point. But there's no domineering. There's no domineering. It's, I, I, I can't come to anyone and say, you have to do this. Because no shepherd that God's going to put at the Oaks Church is Jesus. Don't make any shepherd your Jesus. And so, Peter addresses both of us. Shepherds and sheep. So two questions. One, shepherds, elders, pastors, are you leading well in a way that pleases the Lord? And those who, maybe the Lord is stirring your heart and mind toward elder, pastor type leadership in the local church. What's your motivation? What's your motivation behind that desire? Check your motivation. Ask the Holy Spirit to expose those areas that may be self-motivated more than Jesus-motivated. And then church. Is the way that you are following Christ a joy to those who are leading you? Right? As, 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 a, as a fellow pastor, shepherd, elder, it's fantastic to sit with brothers and just rejoice over what we're seeing the Lord do in the lives of people. And then there are also those conversations where we say, I'm just, I'm working, I'm praying, I'm serving this person, this family. And if it's a season, man, we dive in and we push in. But maybe shepherds, we just say, look, you should be a self-feeder by now. You, sh- you should be a self-feeder. There, there are enough immature believers who are new in Christ that we need to pour into. And so where you, do, do we want harmony in our church or are we just okay with church just being church so let's pray